We'll just pray first. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for this place that we can come together as a body. We can come together to worship you, to be ministered to, to minister to you. And Lord, tonight I just pray that, Lord, as we open our hearts, as your word goes forth, Lord, may it, God, change us. Lord, I don't want to leave this place the same way I came in, but I want to leave equipped. I want to leave changed. I want to leave prepared, Lord God, for whatever happens outside these walls. I pray tonight that our ears, our spiritual ears would be open, that our hearts would be ready to receive that seed of the word. And Lord, may you have your way in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, many years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Disneyland. A long time ago now. And um, while we were there, we got to, there's obviously a whole range of things on offer to do there. And one of the things that we wanted to do was there was a show that you could watch. It was a special effects kind of show about bugs and insects. Um, And so we all shuffled into this nice little looking auditorium. The lights were on. We sat on what looked like normal benches uh, and we were then given special glasses and so the lights went off, it's pitch black, and they tell you put your glasses on. And suddenly, what I thought was a nice auditorium with lights and normal benches became this other world that we had not seen before. Um, at one point, I had a bug kind of like, it sounds so stupid, but it's, it's literally what happened. A bug was like there in front of my face and was just like looking at me, and they had like this audio over the, over, uh, the, the speakers. And um, it was talking about how this bug... Um, protects itself from other predators and it spurts like a water or something at you and suddenly there's this spurt of water in my face and I was like what is going on here Um, and uh, this happened numerous times there's like things buzzing past you and you know you're like like this and uh, at the closing of the show a voice came over the auditorium again uh, over the speaker and said can you just please stay seated um, until our insect friends have left the auditorium because we don't want you to crush them I was like, okay, weird. Um, And suddenly the seat that I had thought was normal, I am telling you, it moved underneath me. It felt like a million cockroaches were like scurrying underneath me. Um, The glasses gave you a different perspective. They used special effects to uh, show you things that you wouldn't have seen with the naked eye normally. It helped you to see something that your physical eye could not see. And what you saw when you put those glasses on made you physically act a certain way, whether that was to jump out of your sweet seat or swerve your head or scream like I did. Now, without the glasses, you think that those people are just weird, but they're not. They can just see something that you can't see in that moment because you don't have the glasses on. Pastor preached a great message last Sunday morning about how our body, soul, and spirit are all interlinked and that every part of us is impacted by the other. They're not completely separate from each other. We learn that our actions, the things that we do in the flesh, are not just random. We often do them because we've felt something, and we've felt something because we've thought something. What we think and feel impact how we act. Everyone understand that? Great. Pastor's message worked last week. We are often quite focused on our five senses, right? So I just saw a fly buzzing past me, and I'm don't want it in my face, sight, hearing, touch, smell, and taste. And it's these senses that are triggered because of how we feel, and how we feel 
is triggered by how we think. What we do is driven by things we cannot see. An example of this is uh, my um, employer, uh, great, great boss, but he is an ideas man. Uh, and he will come out of his office and he was going, I was thinking this morning as I was driving to work and I go, oh, no, don't do that because he comes up with all these grand ideas and he comes to me with this task. He wants me to implement this idea and I think it's a dumb idea. This happens quite often. Um, and if I'm not careful, I might lash out and say something to my employer because I don't think it's a good idea and I sometimes have said, yeah, I think that's stupid. Um, thankfully, we have a good relationship, so I can be honest and open with him. Now, although the task to me or the idea may seem bad or silly, my role in my job is to complete what my boss has asked me to complete, right? That's why you get paid to do a job. Ultimately, though, what's happening is what I'm being asked to do is something I don't want to do. I get short with him, and then I ignore him, uh, and I don't want to talk to my boss because he's making me do something I don't want to do. But the way my physical body is reacting is coming from something deeper than just frustration. It's coming from an unwillingness to submit to a higher authority. It's actually just called rebellion. I've acted out in my flesh, not because I just randomly wanted to, but because there was a driving force or a motivator behind it that cannot be seen. And our adversary, the devil, likes nothing more than to pull the strings behind the scenes and to use situations in our lives to get us to think a certain way, to feel a certain way, and then to act a certain way. Way back before creation, Satan was an angel. But Satan decided that he didn't want to be just an angel anymore. He wanted to be God. He didn't want to worship God. He wanted to be worshipped. And so he rebelled against God and was thrown out of heaven. Now, sometime later, we don't know how long, the Lord creates the world as we know it. And he includes Adam and Eve in that. They're told you can eat any tree in the garden except one. And as many of us know, Satan suddenly appears and comes along as a serpent for a chat with Eve. And by the end of this conversation, Eve has disobeyed God, eaten the fruit that she was not meant to eat, and has persuaded Adam to do as well. Now, Eve didn't just suddenly pick a piece of fruit from that tree and eat it. There was a process. Genesis 3, 6 says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Her senses could see that it was good to eat. It looked like a nice piece of fruit. But she hadn't taken of that fruit before. So why was today different from all the other days when that fruit has always been there just like it, just like every other tree? Someone has spoken to her and she's begun to think a certain way that then's made her emotions affected and start to feel a certain way. And then she's acted on those feelings. The question that the serpent asked Eve was, has God really said you can eat, can't eat of all the trees in the garden? He deliberately said this so that Eve would enter into conversation with him. And it kind of broke the ice. And so she begins to speak with him. This gives him the opportunity to go further. And when he realizes that Eve has let her guard down, he was able to say more. 
Genesis 3 verse 4 and 5 says, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He starts to get Eve to question in her mind God's motives and his reasoning. Now the serpent has Eve feeling in her emotions that God doesn't really care about me. He's keeping me from something better. And so we see that then Eve's physical senses are then impacted by what she is now thinking and feeling. And she chooses to take of that fruit and everything changed. Eve was not aware of what truly was going on, but instead was deceived into thinking that the devil was her friend and that he was helping her out. And when Eve took of that fruit and ate it, she gave what dominion she and Adam had over to Satan. And since the time that Satan was removed from the presence of God, there has been a struggle for power and dominion. There has been a fight over territory and land. Not physical lands or places, but hearts and minds. The souls are of humanity are what Satan wants dominion over. And whether we are aware of it or not, or whether we even want to believe it or not, we are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 and 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The battle is not seen with physical eyes, nor is it won with physical weapons. And the moment you and I said yes to God was the moment Satan lost dominion over your life, your individual life, and you became a part of God's kingdom. And Satan is not happy about that. C.S. Lewis once said, The enemy will not see you vanish into God's company or army without an effort to reclaim you. Satan hates it when we become a part of God's kingdom and God's army. And so he will do what he can to reclaim what he has lost, your soul. And if we are not aware or careful, we will succumb to the enemy's tactics. Genesis 3 and 1 said that the serpent was more subtle than anything else. He was clever. He used indirect methods or strategies or tactics to achieve an outcome. And then our flesh acts out. Or we start feeling or, or experiencing emotions that we haven't felt before and we think, oh, it's, it's just that. It's just a feeling. It's just a thought. The enemy uses certain tactics to try and get us to think a certain way, feel a certain way, and act a certain way. His goal is for you to be overcome by the battle and to surrender and to be taken captive by his kingdom. Now, our church is going through a change both as a, as a whole, as a congregation. But each of us as individuals are going through a change. I don't know if you felt it, but I have, and I've spoken to a lot of people. Our church is going through a change. God is moving us to action. Our mission has been for a number of years and is still this year, go make disciples. We are to go. We are to make. We are to do something. Satan is happy for us to stay within these four walls, to never venture out to be self-sufficient. We don't need any more people. We've got enough helpers. We've got enough musicians. We've got enough Sunday school teachers. We don't need anyone else. He wants us to stay insulated from the world. And right now we are being called to look up and to look out. 
and to see the fields that are ready for harvest and to go out and reap them. And Satan does not like this. Pastor mentioned a week or so ago that ever since we've been having focused prayer and fasting, the enemy has been on the warpath. War has been waged, church, and the enemy has been busy attacking from behind the scenes. And it's time for us to stand up and to fight back. Amen? Amen. Tonight my message is simple, but I hope that by the end we come away more aware, more equipped and prepared to combat the enemy's tactics. Tactics in warfare is the art and science of fighting battles. They take into account the way combat should be approached, where the battle should take place, what weapons should be used, and how the troops should be ordered and placed. The first thing we should know about tactics is this. We must know our enemy. When sporting teams go out to play a game against another team, they study that team. They study their strengths. They look for their weaknesses. They look at how they won in previous games and what their usual moves are. They come prepared knowing their opposition so they can be ready to move and to take opportunities that may present themselves in the fight. Second Corinthians is a letter from Paul to the church at Corinth. And in chapter 2, he's explaining why he's not coming to visit, but instead writing this letter. And he writes in his letter that if someone has sinned and repented, the people in the church need to forgive that brother or sister and love them as they are restored. And at the close of this section, he says the following in 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. Why do we need to do that? Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul knew that Satan would look to take advantage of our mistakes as individuals or as a church. He says we're not ignorant of his devices, though, or his tactics. To be ignorant is to ignore or to not know something due to a lack of knowledge or information. We must know our enemy. We must be able to understand how he might try to attack us. And the words, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, is the idea of cheating someone out of something that belongs to them. When we are ignoring, uh, ignorant sorry, of Satan's devices or strategies, he is able to regain territory in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of winning a battle and then losing it later on down the track. I'm sick of Satan being able to ta- have an advantage over me. But how do I stop that from happening? Don't be ignorant of his tactics. Know how he attacks. So, who is our enemy? We read before in Ephesians 6 and 12 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not our brother. It's not our sister. It's not our family. It's not our work colleague. It's not my boss. It's not your school friends. It's none of those people. It may look like they are your enemy because what happens in the spiritual does affect the physical. But ultimately, the people we come into contact with in our daily lives are not our enemy. Satan is our enemy. He would try to convince us otherwise, but Satan is the true enemy. And here are some things to know about your enemy. He is a liar. In John 8, 44, Jesus is having a conversation with some Jewish people in the temple, and it's getting quite heated, as some of his conversations in the temple did. And they refuse to believe Jesus' words, and they're arguing with him. And Jesus says in verse 44, Ye are of your father the devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. How would you like to be told that from the mouth of Jesus? 
of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. The enemy, Satan, is a liar and he will twist what is good. He will corrupt scripture and he will make people believe what is not true. And this is why we need to know the truth, God's word. The second thing you need to know about your enemy is he wants to destroy you. John 10 and 10 says, The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The world, society, Hollywood has made people believe that Satan is just a little red-skinned man with a little red cape and two horns and a pitchfork. And they've desensitized us to who Satan really is. And the Bible says, as we've just read, that he wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He doesn't want to just make you have a bad day. He wants you to lose your soul, and he wants you to spend eternity in hell with him. And we need to know this, church. This sounds sobering and depressing. I'll get to the good part. But you cannot be deceived to think that Satan is just your friend or that he's just a snake. He is the adversary of your soul. He is the accuser. It says in 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, look around, be aware, be on, uh, be on alert. Because your adversary or your enemy or your opponent, the devil, As a roaring lion, he walks about the earth. He's got a lot of time on his hands and he walks and he's looking, he's seeking. He's not just by accident. He's intentionally looking for someone to devour. This isn't a video game battle that you can turn on and off whenever you want. This is real. And there are casualties that take place in this battle if we are not careful. And this may sound quite sobering and serious, but we need to be aware of these things. Amen. We must know our enemy. Something else to know about him is he is more powerful than you and I. But he is not more powerful than Jesus. Satan does have power. And if we try to fight the battles against him on our own, we will fail. We will fall. However, Satan is limited and does not have all power. And again, society has convinced us that Satan and God are just two equal enemies sitting on your shoulder, just one whispering good, one whispering bad. It's not like that. That's not true. They are not equals. And Satan only has as much power as God allows. It is limited. John 14 and verse 30 says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you. This is Jesus before he ascends to heaven. And he says, for the prince of this world cometh. But what does Jesus say? And has nothing on me. Satan has nothing on Jesus. There is nothing that Satan can do that can surprise God. Matthew 28, 18 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, what? All power. All power. Not just a part of it. Not just the parts that uh, the devil doesn't have. All power is given unto me. Where? In heaven and on earth. In every place. Jesus has all power. Amen? Amen. One more thing to know about your enemy is this. He is already defeated. And we sung it this morning. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, dominion was given over to Satan. 
But you see, God always has a plan. Always has a plan. Even when you fall, God has a plan. Even when you mess up, even when you walk away, God has a plan to bring you back. Amen. God always has a plan. And this plan, even way back then in Genesis, was set in motion. And then Jesus steps onto the scene. And as we know, he died on the cross. We sung it tonight. He died on the cross. He was buried for three days in a tomb. And then he rose three days later. And I can imagine at the time of his death, Satan thinking, ha, I've finally done it. I finally won. I'm going to be God now. But we know that three days later, three days later, suddenly the tomb's empty. The rock's been rolled away. And we know that we are now triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 And when he ascended into heaven and his spirit was then poured out on the day of Pentecost, we were given the same power to overcome. Amen. Hallelujah. We sang it this morning. The end is already written. Satan does not have all power on earth anymore. Hebrews 2 verse 14 and 15 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also himself likewise took part of the same. This is Jesus saying we are flesh and blood. Jesus came and partook, was the same as us. That through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. It's clear. It's clear. It's not someone else. It's the devil. And Jesus has all power and he's destroyed his power of death. Colossians 2.15 says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Yes, our enemy may have some power, and his desire may be to destroy us, but the positioning of the battle has now changed. Before he was on the offense, but now we have the advantage. We are no longer holed up in a bunker somewhere, cowering in fear, but instead we now have the power to gain territory that he is trying to defend because Jesus conquered the enemy and gave us the power to overcome. Do you believe that tonight? You have the power to overcome. Amen. 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 The second thing we need to be aware of when it comes to tactics when it comes to the battle is this. To win a battle, the unit of soldiers must be subordinate to one singular leader. And that leader has created a well-considered plan. Now, one person is calling the shots. One person is making the decisions. And the soldiers know that when they are given an order, they follow the order. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And verse 2 says, looking unto who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are to look to our leader, Jesus. He is the writer of our story and he will finish it. But we must be looking to him. We must be following him. John 14 and 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. When our commander in chief gives us an order, a command, 
we need to respond in obedience because it's going to save your soul. It's going to save your life. When a soldier is told something by their leader, it's so that they can win the battle. It's not to keep them from something that they wish they had. It's to keep, it's to keep their, their side of the, um, the battle on the offense with the advantage. That's why they give orders. And if a big army of soldiers decided, let's just say they're in a valley and there's two, you know, opposing enemies, they all have different ideas. They all think that this is the way we should win the battle. How do you think that would work? The, the leader says, charge, attack, or whatever he tells them to do. And then they all go, oh, well, I think we should charge from this side. And I think we should charge from this side. And I think I'm just going to go around the back. And I'm just going to go forward. Everyone splits. Everyone splits. And then the enemy just picks them off one by one. Because they've lost the safety that unity brings. We must be unified with Jesus. We must be within this body. We must stay together. And together we look to him and we follow his plan. The third thing to know is what tactics the enemy is going to use. In the midst of war, sometimes special teams will be sent out to do reconnaissance. They need to find out information about what the enemy is planning and they'll do their little shuffle over to the hill and look down on, I don't know, you know, I'm just thinking of the things that you read and see. They need to know what weapons this enemy has. Now, we don't have to go on special trips and do reconnaissance like they do in physical war. His tactics, the enemy's strategy, is not hidden from us. We have the word of God that gives us the information that we need. And tonight, I'm not going to give an exhaustive list of the ways Satan tries to win over us, but I want to list a few of his tactics and then how we can combat those weapons that he uses. The first one is dismay. The enemy loves to intimidate. He loves to get us to a point where we are so bound by worry, anxiety, and fear that we freeze. We do nothing. We think we will never get through. We will never win. We won't make it. And I read before 1 Peter 5 and 8 about how your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion. He roars. He tries to scare us with his presence. He tries to get us to think that he has the power to devour us. And he he screams in your ear, hoping that you will listen to him. But let me tell you something. The devil cannot kill you. He can try to convince you to curl up and die, but he cannot kill you without God's permission. The enemy loves to speak fear and worry into our minds. And what happens is we start to mull over those things. If we give them even a tiny second of time, those thoughts start to get comfortable in our heads. And we start thinking, oh, maybe that was true. Maybe what he said was right. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. Oh, the devil's going to kill me. He's going to do something to me. He's going to make my life terrible. And we mull over those thoughts. And what happens is then we begin to feel the, the emotion of fear. And you feel... You're hot, you're sweating, your heart rate is pacing. And these are the physical effects of the emotion that you're feeling. And then in your flesh, you just completely sit down. You don't do anything. Because if I do something, something bad might happen. The second thing that he uses is division. Remember when I said Satan rebelled against God way back in the beginning? Well, he didn't just rebel on his own. He convinced a third of the angels. That's a lot of angels. I don't know how many there are, but there are a lot. Okay, a third of them he convinced to come out of heaven and to be, go with him. He has a way. 
of splitting and dividing and bringing disunity. Satan uses his voice to convince you that no one cares, that no one sees. He'll try to use your brother or your sister against you by getting them to act up in their flesh and maybe do something to you or say something that hurts you or offends you. And he will continually bring up that hurt, that wound until you can't stop thinking about it. And then you start to feel unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. And then your flesh starts to manifest those feelings. You avoid the person. And then everything you say is laced with this bitterness. That's, that's what it is. And when that person's name comes up, all you can talk about is negative. You talk about them with others. You think, maybe it would be easier if I just left the church so then I don't have to see that person. Division and disunity is another way that Satan tries to weaken the army of God. Another tactic he uses is discouragement. Discouragement is the feeling of having lost hope or confidence. Are you in the middle of a battle right now? Do you feel like it won't end and that there's no way out? It's in these times that we can begin to think God has left us, that we are out here all on our own. I'm wandering in the wilderness and that the situation is never going to change. Those thoughts, they're not random. They don't just come out of nowhere. The devil's whispering in your ear. He's whispering words that he hopes you will let sit in your mind. And then you get this feeling of hopelessness, that feeling of discouragement, and instead of walking through life victoriously, you wander through life feeling defeated. You look at your life and all you see is disappointment. Nothing seems to have gone the way you think it should. And these are all ways that the enemy tries to attack us. Dismay, discouragement, and division. Now, the fourth thing to know about tactics in war is to know what weapons you have to use. So now we know his tactics, we know what he tries to do. Well, what do we do? Now, we've not been left without a set of weapons. The Lord didn't leave us on our own to fend for ourselves. He has given us tools to combat the enemy's tactics. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh. Again, the battle is not in here, although our flesh likes to rear its ugly head. But the battle begins up in the spiritual. Verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not bombs. They're not guns. But they are mighty through God. It's got to be through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We cannot win a spiritual battle with fleshly weapons. We must use weapons that although they may not make sense in the physical, are powerful in the spiritual realm. So what are these weapons that we have? And there's a a list of them. Again, I don't have time to list them all, but the ones that I want to talk about tonight, the first one is prayer. Prayer is a weapon. Prayer is the communication tool between us and God. And we can go to the Lord with all of those emotions, all of those thoughts, all of those mess ups, the fears, the worries, the disappointments, the bitterness in our heart, and we can tell God how we feel. David did this well in the Psalms. He often offloaded and shared all of his emotions, and sometimes I read them and I go, wow, it's a 
little bit honest, David, like calm down, when in actual fact, that's what we need to do. And that's exactly how I feel. Sometimes I'm like, God, where, where are you? You've forsaken me. It's okay to share those feelings with God. Don't try to keep them bottled up in your heart. You've got to confess them to God. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Tell the Lord how you feel. He's not going to turn away from you. He's not like humans when we are honest sometimes and people go, Yeah, I didn't like that. I'm going to turn away. God isn't like us. He will listen to you. He is a great listener. And I've spoken to several people recently about counseling. And one of the things those people that have been through counseling shared with me was the power uh, of just talking out what they were feeling. Just to talk, just to let it all gush out. Well, Jesus is the wonderful counselor and he is a great listener. And the enemy would like us to, to hold everything inside and hide it because no one can see I'm vulnerable. If I'm vulnerable, they'll think I'm a failure. They'll think I'm not strong enough. We're not strong enough. None of us are. None of us are strong enough. It's got to be with God. We need God to get through. The Lord wants us to be open and honest. The second weapon that I want to talk about is worship. Worship is a weapon. Worship changes our perspective on things. And when we feel the enemy coming in like a flood and he just won't leave us alone, we need to lift our voices and make our worship louder than the voice of the enemy. This morning, I really, actually the whole of today, yesterday while I was preparing this message, I felt an attack from Satan. And it was, I was being bombarded by thoughts and by my past and by my future that isn't even known yet. And all these things were just compounding in my head and I felt like I was going to explode. And this morning I prayed before coming to church and I was meditating upon the Lord. But ultimately, it was in the worship service that I felt a lift from the oppression of the enemy. It was when I lifted up my hands, when I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like it this morning. It was hot. I was sad. I was down, but I lifted up my hands and I felt like Satan was trying to pull them down. But I was like, no, no, I'm going to worship the Lord and I'm going to lift my voice and I'm going to shout with a voice of triumph. Even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to shout. I'm going to dance. I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to do what God says to do to get the victory. I didn't feel like worshiping. I didn't feel like it. And there are many times we don't feel like it. But church, I'm tired of the enemy having the upper hand. I'm tired of him giving us giving him the power because that's what we're doing. It's not out of just us sitting there. We give him the power to make our feelings more valuable than the truth. He has no power, but we give him power. We need to stop giving him power. Psalm 47, 1 and 2 says, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is terrible, or he is to be reverenced and respected. He is a great king over all the earth. It doesn't say when I feel it. It doesn't say when everything is going well. It doesn't say when I'm on the mountaintop. It says just clap. It just says shout. Just keep shouting. Just keep clapping. Just keep clapping. Even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to clap. Because the Bible tells me to clap my hands, all you people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. 
The devil has always longed for worship. That's what he wanted when he was in heaven. He wanted to be God. He wanted everyone to turn to him and say, wow. He does not want you worshiping the Lord. But when I choose to ignore the enemy's voice in my ear and I choose to submit my flesh to the spirit of God and I choose to lift up the hands that hang down and I choose to lift up my voice and to shout with triumph, I am on the offense. I am gaining ground and I am winning the battle. Worship is a powerful weapon against the enemy's tactics. Hallelujah. The third weapon, and I would submit to you it's the most powerful, is the Word of God. The Word of God. Hebrews 4 says that the Word of God is quick. It makes things that were dead come to life. And it is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword in a physical battle. So how do we use this weapon? When the enemy comes at us with fear, intimidation, discouragement, division, condemnation, we need to open this book and we need to declare what it says, not just in our minds, but we've got to use our voice. If the enemy uses his voice, you've got to use your voice as on the offense and it's like a sword. It's better than a sword and it destroys the enemy's words in our minds. When we fear, we need to turn to the word and say, devil, 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Psalm 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and there will be times where you walk through a valley, and it'll feel like the shadow of death is following you. But I can tell you, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. When you don't feel like you can overcome, you can turn to 1 John 4 and 4 and you can scream it out. You are of God, little children. I am of God, Emma. And you have overcome them because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When the enemy reminds you of your past or your present failings and you feel condemned like you're never going to get past those things, you've got to go to Romans 8 and 1 and it says there is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If you've repented, if you're walking as much as you can by the Spirit, you do not have to live in condemnation. You do not have to live in condemnation. When he tries to get you to believe that God doesn't love you anymore, you've got to read Romans eight thirty-seven to 30, 39. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors, we're beyond conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, even if I die, nor life, even if my life is good, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, not the devil, not his demons, not his little uh, group of armies, nor things present, nor things to come, not my future, not my fear of what's going to happen nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, no human being, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
Hallelujah. The word of God is quick and powerful and we've got to use it church. Too often it sits there between Sunday services and it never gets opened. And you might do your daily reading and that's wonderful. You need your devotion with God. But when you're feeling an attack, when you're feeling an emotion, you've got to pick it up. It's not just in the morning for five minutes when you're doing your devotion. It's got to be with you all the time. That's why we have to know it. Amen. We need to be able to turn to a scripture when we're feeling fear and be able to say, ah, there's a scripture for that. I'm going to turn to it and I'm going to speak it out until I don't feel that fear anymore. Hallelujah. The scripture says that our weapons are not carnal. And this is true. We are fighting a spiritual battle. We need spiritual weapons. They're not bombs. They're not guns or other physical weapons. But these weapons, they do require a physical response. They require me to open my mouth and worship. They require me to take my physical body into a place of prayer. These weapons do require me to open my physical Bible and speak the words in it with my physical mouth. You see, if you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, you already know the weapons. The problem isn't knowing the weapons, it's using them. It's taking our knowledge and putting it into action. If I can have a musician, let's stand tonight. As I said before, Northside is going through a season of change. And we are being challenged to go make disciples of Jesus Christ. And there are souls that hang in the balance waiting for us to introduce them to Jesus. And Satan doesn't like it. He's on the prowl and he's trying to attack the body. He's trying to attack my family and your family. But it's time for each of us as children of God to look beyond the physical, to beyond this moment as Sister Cash preached. And when we feel those negative emotions and we think those negative thoughts, we must remember where they are coming from. We must stand up and recognize when the enemy is trying to discourage us. And we need to say, "Uh uh-uh, this is the devil. This is the devil and I'm not taking his bait anymore. I'm not going to fall for his tricks. I'm not going to fall for his tactics. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The single, the single most effective means available to an army to win a battle is to put the enemy on what is called the horns of a dilemma. Deliberately creating a situation where the enemy is cornered. He tries to go one way. We, you come at him that way. He tries to go that way. You come at him that way. When our enemy comes at us with an attack, we need to put him on the horns of a dilemma. When he tries to get us to stop worshipping, uh-uh, I'm going to worship anyhow. And when he comes to me with, oh, God doesn't love you. Mm, hold on, the word tells me this. And every time he comes at me, I've got to pick up the word. I've got to lift up my hands and worship. I've got to go into prayer and intercede and, and pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When he tries to deceive me into believing a lie, I'm going to get my Bible and I'm going to read the word and believe the truth. When he tries to get me to stop praying, I'm going to pray anyhow. And it doesn't matter what he tries or where he tries to get me to go. I'm going to be ready with my weapons. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be standing with Jesus. I'm, I'm going to be looking to my leader, commander in chief. What do you want me to do here? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to, to come at this attack? We will use those weapons to cast down the imaginations in our minds, to tear down the thoughts that he tries to plant in our minds. And I, 
When I open this altar tonight, I know there has been a spiritual attack upon our church. I can feel it, but I can feel victory. I can feel victory. It's beyond what we might feel right now, beyond here, but there's victory coming. And I refuse to let him regain any of the territory that we hold. We've started to gain territory. Things are changing. And the enemy's like, oh, hold on. I need to get that. No, 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 no. No, I'm I'm walking forward. I'm going to continue. I'm going to continue walking forward. No retreat. No retreat, Northside. God wants to bring revival to this church. He wants to bring revival to Perth. But we've got to stand. We've got to push forward. We've got to get out of the bunker and stop living in fear. And we have to be led into battle and on to victory this evening. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You may be in a battle right now. I know I am. And it may have come at you by surprise or you may know it's the enemy. But I wonder if you'd come to the altar tonight and you'd present yourself to God and you'd say, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm going to stand. I'm going to move forward and I'm going to follow you, Lord. I'm not going to be dismayed. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to be discouraged or disappointed. 